The Old Testament reading for this morning is found in Leviticus chapter 19. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly, uh, frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The New Testament reading and sermon passage for this morning is found in 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, and a happy second Sunday of Lent for those who are following Lent, uh, anticipating Easter and the contemplation of Christ's resurrection again, uh, as we do even every Sunday, but especially for some at this time of year. And also, congratulations on making it here despite daylight savings time. We are down an hour of sleep, but we are all still gathered joyfully in worship. Uh, I'm a pastor here. My name's Clay. Um, It's always a delight of mine to seek God together with you, uh, especially through the Word together uh, on Sunday. And we're in a series looking at fellowship with God from 1 John, the first letter of John. Uh, In this letter, we've talked through uh, one of the the things that it really has meant, actually. Um, This is maybe a new way for you to think about what this letter's been saying, but putting it all together, we could actually think of this letter uh, as a spiral from truth to love. So it's circling back and forth between truth and love, but it's also going somewhere, right? It's spiraling towards that fellowship. Uh, But in fact, he's just vacillating back and forth between these topics of truth and love. So first we saw in chapter 1 that God is light, right? In him there is no darkness. Whoever Uh, does not have God, walks in darkness. The truth is not in him, right? So truth is being talked about there. Then chapter 2, a great chapter on love. And the new commandment, which isn't really a new commandment, of love, right? Uh, Then we see in chapter 3, we continue to talk about love, loving one another. Uh, And that gives way to discernment, how to test the spirits, how to know what's true, right? In chapter 4, we looked at uh, recently. And then immediately, that's shifting now backwards in verse 7 of chapter 4 to love again. And guess what's going to happen in 15 through 17 of this chapter? Back to truth. Uh, chapter 21, we'll go, you know, from there to the end, we'll, after, we'll be love again. Chapter 5 will be all about truth. And so back and forth we go between truth and love. God is light, as was said in, in the first chapter, that he just is light. He is the truth in that sense. Now we come to the statement... God is love. So he is both 
truth and love, light and love, according to this. And uh, the question I think that might arise in our minds as we come to a passage like this is, what does that even mean, right? What does that even mean? There's lots of answers of what is love. They abound all around us in our culture. Kind of a wishy-washy, just general sort of complacency or smiling at whatever happens to be a sort of zen kind of love. The science version of love, like that's just molecule reactions in your brain. There's not really anything there. I was speaking with uh, somebody, not the previous week, the one before. Uh, He's a, a lawyer here or someone in the church. Uh, and he uh, was saying that sometimes his clients will call him, and at the end of a long conversation about what's going on with this case and law and everything, they'll say, all right, uh, I love you, see you later. And then he'll just have to pause and go, wait, wait, uh, uh, what? And then this awkward hang-up happens, right? <laughs> like, oh yeah, I, I meant uh, goodbye, right? <laughs> so we say love effortlessly, right? Every, there's no one out there that I know of railing against love, right? The trouble is, what does it even mean? If love is kind of everything, it's sort of nothing. And what this letter is showing us today, uh, really picking up on, as we've already been talking about, John chapter 3, so he wrote in his gospel, God so loved us. And so that is to give content to love. That is to say, here's what love is. Twice in this passage, he's going to say, in this is love, right? Here's love. And if God so loved us, the call to action is we also ought to love one another. So two points we're going to see. uh, Divine love, how God loved us, and then what he actually calls, almost shockingly, perfect love or perfected love. Love that works its way out in our lives. And so as we come to these things, uh, let's come with prayer to God himself. Let's pray. God, we confess you are love. Uh, We pray uh, your power would change us, your love would change us. We pray we would comprehend the height, the depth, the breadth, that we would pause to see just how much you love us. We pray we would, upon seeing it, walk away changed, and not even simply walk away at all, but walk with that love, walk in that love. We pray we'd embody that love. Would you teach us in this moment? Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We pray for Jesus' glory. Amen. Uh, There are many songs about love. I don't need to list all of them for you, but there's some that I find especially hilarious. Uh, The first one is, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me, right? Foreigner, we all know this one. Uh, What is love? This is one of my favorites, actually. There's There's a moment in our seminary. We had this really dry British professor who gave a sermon on love, and he was talking about this song, I'm going to try to do my best impression of it. But basically, he got up and he says, The 90s dance hit asked, What is love? Unfortunately, it did not stop to answer the question. It simply said, Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. Obviously, we were all dying in the back as this was happening. Uh, And then, again, uh, pray for this church. Both your pastors do love Weird Al. Weird Al has a song called If That Isn't Love. Do not look up this song ever. There's terrible words in it. But there's some funny parts in it. And one of them is, it's the whole theme of this song is If That Isn't Love, I Don't Know What Love Is. But the twist is that it, it isn't love and he doesn't know what love is. Right? Like he says, you know, I, when I see you carrying something heavy, I always help by saying something encouraging. 
And if that isn't love, I don't know what love is, right? <laughs> so the joke is, actually, that might not be love, right? Uh, you have, you know, the, I left a tiny little microscopic sip of milk in the container in the fridge for, just for you. If that isn't love, I don't know what love is, right? <laughs> Maybe he doesn't know, right? That's the joke. But the joke is playing on the fact that what is love, right? What actually is it anymore? We come to this passage and we read, let us love one another. I think a lot of us, uh, you know, if you're like a post-Christian type, you might think this is what religion is all about, right? It's just a really long, this is a really long preamble to saying, let us love one another, right? I don't know what all the other stuff is in there about spirits and sacrifices and God and all this stuff. Really, it's just trying to get us to love one another. But of course, even as we do that, as we've talked about, it's so vague, it's so mysterious, even vacuous. What does that mean anymore? What does this command to love mean? Uh, what is love made of? What is its substance? Is it something that's real, grounded in anything? Is it, what is it sourced in? Where does it come from? That's the first thing he tells us here in, chapters, in verse 7. Love is from God. So the, the saying we often hear is, all truth is God's truth, right? It doesn't matter who says it. It doesn't matter where it comes from. All truth is God's truth and can be you know, traced to him. It's, it's not true despite what God says. It's true because God established that truth. We can actually say the same thing of love. All love is God's love. Wherever love is found, you find something divine. Perhaps deluded, perhaps twisted, as the truth might be, right? The, the, it can be perverted, it can be twisted, it can be uh, misused, but it's still of God. Which then leads him to this ultimatum he has here, verses 7 and 8. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. What John has done in these two verses is make love the bottom line of Christianity. Nothing less than that. That is shocking to us. That is, in some ways, perhaps we wish he would have added a couple qualifications to this, right? Well, you know, not everyone that says love, loves, and so forth. But here he is. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Uh, I have to address our own tendencies here. If you're the Reformed types, the Presbyterian types, the Evangelical types, right? If you don't know what those words mean, you can tune out for three minutes, okay? We love the truth. Or at least we love being the ones that have the truth, right? When we think about this command to love, when we think about the sum and substance of what it means to be a Christian, we love to sneer at that phrase, preach the gospel always when necessary, use words. We love to say, ah, but the, the good news is news. We must use words, right? This is the book that tells us, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. You can't have the truth without love, right? Here's the truth. It's telling us to love. These things cannot be disconnected. And so what I'm asking us to do is not be, not be less reformed, not have less convictions, not care less about the truth, but care so much about it that we walk in it. And the truth is love, right? God is light, God is love. Of course, there's an opposite error we can have. 
and the, the world is good at this, the, the postmodern world around us, the post-everything, post-Christian world, that says, well, just love, right? You know, it doesn't matter what people think. We don't want to get too particular about saying our way is correct or any way is correct at all. Any claim of reality, any claim to the truth is inherently unloving, is inherently evil. This would be love without truth, right? And it's neither. That's the point, right? Neither is neither. They cannot be separated. Truth and love, truth and love, back and forth. The apostle spirals until he says this, God is love, in verse 8. Now that's not a, what we call a metaphysical statement. He's not saying love is God, right? Like wherever you find love, that's all that God is, as if love exhausts God. Rather, God exhausts love. So it's not just that the feelings around us, that those acts of love we see around us, that's not what God is. God is the Spirit, we just, we've confessed in uh, Sunday school this morning. God is a Spirit, God is, but He is love. What does that mean? What it means, first of all, is in order for this paradigm to work, right, to say that those who love are born of God, love has to be really central to who God is, right? I have a grandma who really enjoys knitting. This is my example for this. And if someone would say to me, oh, I know your grandma. She's a great lady. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, you know how she knits all the time? She'd be like, what? If they said, what do you mean? I would start to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you know, are we talking about the same person, right? Do you know her? She, she loves knitting. She breathes knitting. She is knitting, right? There's way more to my grandma than knitting, by the way. But just saying. That is so central, right? That anything less for the apostle is an understatement. Love isn't a thing God does. He is love. He embodies love. It's the, the sum of who he is. That's how strong it is. And we know that because we see what he says in the following verses, 9 and 10. He's going to have two statements that are more or less both say, in this is love. Right? So here we get a definition of love. What we've been looking for, right? Pay attention, Hadaway and Foreigner and Weird Owls of the World. Here is love, right? In this is love. We get three elements of it, starting in verse 9. The first thing is acting for the good of another. That's just my paraphrase of it. What he says is, so that we might live through him. In other words, God took action such that the result of his action was that we might live through his Son. Now, first of all, love is an action we see here. It's not just a feeling. It's, move, it's a movement, right? But God drew near to us and sent his Son to us that in him we might have life. That's the first thing we see in verse 9. Verse 10 we see the, the, the first criteria, the first condition he's adding on this. It wasn't just that he acted for our good, but he acted for our good of his own initiative. He took the first step. Verse 10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved, but that he loved us. So in other words, we find, again, God not merely first mover, first cause, but first lover here. He is the one to love first of his own initiative, not to wait for our Love, not to wait for the right conditions. Romans 5.8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came for us. He took the first step. 
He took initiative. And it's free, right? It's without our merit, with, without anything we've done. He moved towards us. He moved for our salvation. And then the third thing we see, at his own cost. Verse 10, and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. That's a big word. Propitiation, you find it a couple places in the New Testament, but there's two ways it might be translated, and this is all might be pedantic to you, but it could be expiation. That is, he sent his son to be the taking away of our sins, the casting out of sin. But I think more likely is what you do find in the ESV, propitiation, that he came to be the appeasement for our sin. He came to be the sacrifice for our sin, the one who atoned, the one who paid the cost of it. He said, I'll pay it, all of it, right? So here you have God acting for our good at his own initiative and his own cost, and the apostle says, in this is love. Now, I want to add here, it's not a strict definition. It is a very good picture. It's the greatest picture of love. In other words, you could have someone reciprocating love, and that still be love, right? You don't have to take the initiative for it to be love. Uh, you could also have a situation in which you don't really lose anything. You just love, and you're seeking the good of someone else. It doesn't cost you. Maybe it's a joy to you. That's still love, right? But here you have it in its purest form, in sharp relief exactly who God is, the sum and substance of it. Here is love, in this is love. You see it nowhere more clearer than this. So what does this mean? It means if you want to know what love is, and you want someone to show you, right? Look at the story of God's love. Look what he's done for you. And notice that it's not just a story. Uh, if we look at chapter 4, we find verse 9 and 10. It says this, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Think about this. This is not a story. This is fact. This is what God has done to you. In this, love was made manifest. He didn't tell us this as an idea. He came and lived this. Do you know the reality of this this morning? It says we cannot see God, right? So how do we know that we're his, right? How do we know we really know God? Do you know the reality of this? Not as talking points against the papists and Arminians, right? Not as a rebuke against the post-everything world. Not as an abstraction, an idea, a therapeutic construct. Do we actually know that we are the object of this love? We are the object of love himself. Think about that for a second. In this is love. And what does the apostle call us? Beloved. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Anyone who loves knows God and has been born of him. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. He is love. If that is making sense to you today, either for the first time or for the hundredth time, you are begotten of God. Know that you belong to love himself. 
You are his well-beloved child now. You are born of God. You are beloved. And when we know that, it changes us. And we're going to look just for a second how it changes us, this perfect love. Uh, I want to zoom in on this word beloved again. Because he says it twice in this passage. I want to give you, I'm just going to give you a smattering of examples of how this is used in the New Testament. This word beloved, or you might translate it, loved ones, those who are loved, those who are the object of love. Paul uses this word, the author of Hebrews uses this word, James uses this word, Luke uses this word, Peter uses this word, John uses this word, Jude uses this word. If you've written an epistle in the New Testament, this word comes up. And I think what it's drawing, every time you hear that word, draw all of what John has just spelled out into that word, right? Thus God loved us. Beloved. And what's amazing about it, if you look at it, there's a lot of, you know, like, greet my beloved brother, right? There's that kind of use of the word. But there's also two types that we find, and I'll just, I'll just read them off to you. This is from Romans 12. Beloved, never avenge your enemies. 1 Corinthians 10, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in every good work. 2 Corinthians 7, uh, See these promises, beloved, and let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. Ephesians 5, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Philippians, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. James 1, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh, 1 Peter 2. Therefore, beloved, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. Beloved, take care that you are not carried away with lawlessness. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has, yet, has not yet appeared, but when he appears, we will be like him. Beloved, I do not believe every spirit, right, but put them to the test. We heard some of these already in First John. What are all these telling us? Uh, sometimes you notice it said beloved, or sometimes it said my beloved. Sometimes it said beloved brothers, and sometimes it said my beloved brothers. You see this, this conflation, this back and forth between his affection, his affection in Christ for his people, but also God's, right? Those two are, the, are both represented there. God's love and his love. The speaker's love. And you also see two things, reminders and calls to action, right? The beloved is saying, remember who you are in him. Remember how much he loves you. And there's a dozen different calls of action. I flee from idolatry, never avenge your all these different things to do with that love, to walk in that love. All of that is true because love is an action, right? It's about past, present, and future. It's about remembering who you are in Christ, remembering the blessings he has in store for you, and walking now in that love. Love is action. Jesus says, whoever has been forgiven much, loves much. And we need to, I think, in order to be loved, what this is telling us, to walk in that love, to know that love, to walk in love means to remember how much we are forgiven. 
remember the love he has for us. So how does, that, how does this help us walk in love, right? How do, when we remember that, how do we, how do we do that? I want to look at that. I also want to look at what it means that love is perfected here. And then we'll have a few points of application before we close. So how do we walk in this love? From the, how, how do we have that love? And then how does that move us to action? Four ways, I think. First and foremost, it teaches us. We, we have a, a lesson, right? A master class on love from love himself. He has lived the example. And he has shown it to us what it means to seek others at his, own, at his own initiative and at his own cost, right? There is no better example. Second, it moves us. So what happens is he wins our heart, right? When we, when we think about this, when, we, when we're captured by this, when we're caught up in what God has done for us, he wins our heart and begins to work the end of that love out in our lives as well. Third, it frees us, and we're going to get into more of this. With We're going to continue on love. Jamie will get into uh, fear has to do with punishment, and so being free, being actually liberated from guilt and shame, but also more and more from sin, right? When we're walking less in that sin that Christ has put to death in us, we learn and practice love more. And then fourth, it actually works in us. And this is supernatural. This is something you, that cannot be quantified. But if you have the Spirit of God living in you, you may have provocations to, to do acts of love that you, you don't even know how they came into your mind, right? His Spirit living in you will simply stir you to love. Um, there's a couple caveats with this I think we should point out. One is, uh, this cannot mean that we are complicit in sin. Right? For seeking others' good, that doesn't just mean doing whatever they want. There's actually that Weird Al song has another great line. I thought that was, "I totally support every idiotic thing you do." <laughs> if that isn't love, I don't know what love is, right? That's is, is the joke is that it's actually a, maybe a bad idea if you just have carte blanche affirmation, right? For that's not what love is. Love doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing; it rejoices in the truth. We know from Scripture. So that means not just simply saying yes to everybody around you. It also means if you're a victim in an abusive situation, that doesn't mean, love doesn't mean suffering in silence and letting someone continue to act out sin against you or somebody else. That would be to rejoice at wrongdoing, which we know the scripture is against. The other thing would be, what about the world? It's sort of, is this, this says to love one another, right? So are we... Is this like a love club that has been formed, right? And so if you're a Christian, you're on the inside of the love club, and the people outside are not in that club, and so you have no obligation to show them love. This is actually further compounded. I'll make it, I'll put some legs on this for you. If you look at chapter 2, it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, right? So how do we reconcile this idea that we're not to love the world. And in fact, the love of the Father is not there. When we just heard that God the Father so loved the world that he sent his Son, right, to save us. And the answer is simply, there's a couple different meanings to this word world. Right? If by world you mean the people that are in the world, then it's clear we are to love uh, them, even those not born of God, for how did he love us at his own initiative, right? 
But if by world you mean the evil systems of the world, we ought not to be complacent here and love in such a way, right, that we're furthering uh, the agenda of sin in the world. So there's much more that can be said about this. It requires discernment. But I wanted to address those two things. And if, before long, I think if we start saying, well, who do I have to love? We start to sound like this guy that came up to Jesus in the New Testament and said, well, who's my neighbor anyway, right? Who do I have to take the initiative to help, right, when they're in a moment of need? Of course, the, the story of the Good Samaritan shows us that the question we ought to be asking is, who can I be a neighbor to? Who can I love, right? Jesus saw us in our need, and he came to us. Who are we to say, right, you're not in the club, right? He's the one who brought us into his own family. So this perfected love works out in us these ways. Uh, it perfected love, this word perfected, I just wanted to spell this out because this might confuse you a bit. You're like, wait, isn't that perfect love? Didn't we already see it? How does it become more perfect in us? Three ways uh, it is verified in us. Again, no one has ever seen God. And Jesus says, by this all will know you are my disciples if, if you have love for one another. So it, when that love works out in us, we become strengthened in our conviction that we are truly his. And we testify and witness to the world that we are his, right? But it is also fulfilled in us. And this comes from the fact that this, is, this word is translated uh, is teleos in that end word group. So it's about the end. It's about the fruition. It's about where is that going? Uh, some of the scriptures that are fulfilled in the New Testament use this same word. So say the scriptures are perfected, uh, completed, fulfilled. It's not as though it's saying we're writing more scriptures, right? We're like, oh, let me finish the other part of that. It's that the words that were already written came to their conclusion. The, the work that God is doing in us comes to its conclusion. And it's also realized in us that God actually extends his love through us. And this is one of the most astounding things. Again, that Christ is not done loving you or your neighbor until he's loved you through your neighbor, right? He's created this body that we can show his love to one another. So these are, what's our questions as we walk away from all this? As we, th we see divine love, we see this perfected love acting out in us. What, here's, here's some questions I think we can ask, some groups we can think of. Your family, your church, your workplace, the world. How do we walk in this love? Here's some questions. Are you waiting for someone to apologize to you? Who will take the initiative, Right? Will you bear that cost? Will you be the one to take the first step? Is there a sacrifice of time and energy that could be for the good of somebody in your life? Who's going to respond to the, the ask at work, right? Who's going to be the one, that the boss sends out the email to everyone, I need someone to volunteer for this. Who's going to be the one to sign up? Will you be that person? And are there people that you know that do not know who love is? Who will seek them despite the cost and for their good and tell them of the Lord Jesus Christ? Who will carry good news to them? Who is their neighbor? Could it be you? Again, these are not simply ideas. These are ways that the love of Christ is completed in us. And so these are spiritual questions to ask. For God so loved us, he sent his son for us. Beloved, if God so loved us, 
we also ought to love one another. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, we are floored by your love. It is too much for us to grasp. That you who are perfect would come and take on flesh in a low condition, be made under the law, be made subject to everything wicked in this life, to be hated, to be rejected, despised by your own people. You came for us. God, may we understand that love today. May we not simply understand, God. May we know it. May we know we are the object of it. When we see Christ in the scriptures on the cross, may we see that is for me. And when we take that to our hearts, God, may we walk it out. May we live in it. May we not simply be orthodox. May we be those known by your love. We pray you be known in it and glorified in it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.